The Gospels are the accounts of the words and works of our Savior Jesus. It's there that we learn of the acts of love that mean for us forgiveness and everlasting life. Join us to study one of these Gospels, the book of Matthew. Read a chapter and then listen in as our pastors from Grace discuss the marvel of God's words to us. We hope that you listen to Jesus' words and that with us you grow. Here's another discussion on a chapter from the book of Matthew. Hey, podcast listeners, welcome back to Most Certainly True Podcast. Uh, I'm honored to have my friend and co-worker here with us today, Pastor Aaron Strong. How are you today? I'm doing wonderfully. How about you? I am doing quite well. Good. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Been enjoying the, our walk through Matthew that we've been taking? It's nice to hop into this gospel. It's the, the first one we have here and uh, has a lot of fun details and things uh, to refocus our hearts on when it comes to the life of Jesus. So it's been fun to walk through it so far. Yeah. Hopefully you have been walking through uh this exercise with us. We're hoping that uh, you Grace members or Grace friends or podcast listeners are going to join us in devotionally going a little bit more slowly through the Gospel of Matthew, one chapter a day during the the work week. Um, And then we're hoping you'll tune in and listen to us talk about each chapter for 20 minutes or so. Hopefully we can can help add and augment your your devotional um, work through this gospel. So here we are in chapter three. If you haven't read chapter three, you should probably pause and and uh, go ahead and read through that chapter, and then and then join us in the discussion. Not a real long chapter, but it uh, it brings in some cool characters and um, some cool topics too. And um, right off the bat, we get introduced to John the Baptist, who is coming onto the scene for the first time, and uh, kind of get a sense of his ministry pretty quick here in these verses. Yeah. That it helps uh, maybe the context here as we transition from chapter two, which ends uh, with Jesus coming back from Egypt, baby Jesus, infant, I guess, not infant, maybe toddler, two, what is he, two, three at that time, uh, potentially coming back from Egypt. Yeah, a little bit of age. Now we don't have the, uh, now here we're probably 28 years later. Um, Something along those lines, quite a gap there, but we're getting into the heart then of Jesus' ministry, and what better place to start than uh, the account of the foretold forerunner uh, being here on the scene. You can read more about John himself, um, how he came in a really miraculous and special way to his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth and and Luke, Um, but here we just get right into his ministry, Um, and it's a pretty unique ministry, you know, as you read through this and you think about the ministry that he carried, it, it looks very different than the kind of ministry you and I do each day. Um, we we don't hang out in the wilderness, um, and we don't wear camel's clothes and eat <laughs> locusts. Although, I don't know, did you have locusts and honey I for breakfast today? I do not eat locusts. <laughs> Me neither. That sounds gross. <laughs> um, but but this was his life, um, and he, he preached a very powerful ministry uh, or message in his ministry, but he had a very special purpose too, um, and that shows by how he conducted his ministry. So here Matthew is is giving this account, putting the forerunner on the scene, um, but he's also continuing this pattern that we've watched develop of quoting Old Testament um, scriptures. And so he's got John the Baptist is here, and remember he's the one that Isaiah foretold, um, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So 
Matthew's continuing to show his flavor and his his color here on the gospel, his intention of of proclaiming this gospel to um, Jewish people. And the way that he he really fulfilled that and prepared the way for the Lord um, was through his preaching. And his preaching and his message is very simple. It was was repent um, for the kingdom of of heaven has come near. And so it was this idea of turning away from your sin, turn away from your doubts or your unbelief or um, whatever it is that's leading you away from God, turn away and turn to the gospel promise that is that is here that is coming um and he's he's very quickly going to be able to point to Jesus as the fulfillment of all of God's great promises from the very beginning to send a savior into the world i've always thought this was a um a unique and pointed uh prophetic promise about John a voice cuz that's exactly what he was he was out uh out in the wilderness he was the voice um he had a voice and used it and and uh, gathered a following because of some of the unique characteristics, some of the unique things that God had had uh, ordained in order to draw people's attention to not John, but to John's message, the important message that John would uh, would foretell and would proclaim. You notice uh, he was pretty sharp with with the Pharisees and Sadducees when they <laughs> when he came. Maybe that's maybe that's being generous. Even have uh, I ever called you a, a brood of vipers? <laughs> <laughs> that's my face. So um, <laughs> you, know, you know, these religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, are coming out to see what what what's the deal with John. You know, they're probably hearing the reports of this preacher out in the desert, and they wanted to come and check it out themselves. And when John sees them as the religious leaders, he really just lays into them, but rightfully so. Um, because I think they were so ingrained in their self-righteousness and, and what they thought was the right way that John had to kind of be very sharp with them to wake them up to the reality of what God's promises truly were and what was intended in there too. So, um, you know, talks about how the ax is ready at the root of the trees, calling them a brood of vipers, as you mentioned, um, produce good fruit or you're going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. So really, again, it's that message of repentance just in a very harsh way. Why? To awaken them and to turn them from their sins and unbelief too. I think you can learn a lot just from watching um, John the Baptist and watching Jesus interact with different groups of people. Um, John takes the same tact with the Pharisees that Jesus does. Jesus was was pointed and sharp uh, with them as well. You should know better than this. You're the ones that have been... Uh, made to be leaders and to point people to the truth, and now you are are leading them astray instead. Um, draw that, draw the comparison there to the way that Jesus interacts with the tax collectors and the sinners. You know, think of the woman at the well and how gentle and patient he is. He could have come in with with pointed law, and he he doesn't dodge the subject entirely of her sin, but he's not there to um, he just has to mention it and, and her guilt does the rest. Um, right. and he's there to calm and comfort and console. Um, so you can just kind of see, obviously it helps. Um, that's one of the tricks of being, or, or one, of, I shouldn't say tricks. One of the difficult parts of ministry is when to, when to use law and when to use gospel and who needs to hear what message and, um, Obviously, being able to read people's hearts and minds is a is a big help. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus knows exactly what to apply and when. Um, but yeah, it definitely John starts on a pretty sharp um, and and pretty pointed law 
proclamation here, but with good reason, and and he's in good company as we watch Jesus do the same thing with the same people. Yeah, it also strikes me too as do I sometimes need to hear that same striking message that that John preached to the Sadducees and Pharisees um, because so often I do and. You know, they did not react kindly to, to mo- most of this message as seen throughout the rest of the gospel and, and how John is imprisoned later on and how they this same religious group of, of leaders is will mistreat Jesus and eventually um, condemn him to death and, and have him crucified. You know, sometimes, though, I need to hear that, too, and I don't react very well either. I, I can be stubborn in my own self-righteousness, too. And so when I hear the law preached like this, and, and maybe it is, I am a, a part of the brood of vipers, or I do need to repent, but I stubbornly refuse to or don't want to. May these words be a, a, a good reminder to um, produce good fruit or be cut down and thrown into fire. Repent and be baptized. Turn from this. Um, no matter where you're at in your life and, and trust in, in the gospel and, and what Christ has done for us. You learn a couple of things already about this Pharisees and Sadducees group just based on uh, the approach that John the Baptist takes with them. He's preaching repentance, which we know wasn't big on their to-do list. Um, they would create these laws and, and feel like they were gaining status with God through their obedience and um, earning God's favor by keeping the law. We don't get too many accounts of Pharisees humbly confessing their sins or or seeking um, Jesus or even just in, in general terms, God's forgiveness. And then he says, uh, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Um, you can see a little bit of pride in, and Jesus addresses this in, in uh, later chapters as well. But this pride in I'm a Jewish person, I'm I'm a, a part of the chosen people of God, and that's good enough. I don't have to do anything else uh, because I'm it. I'm chosen, and I think that's where um, maybe the Christian can find some some application here too. Sometimes that's the attitude we take. Well, I grew up, I was raised Christian. I've been a member of this church all my life. I'm I'm pretty good. I don't have to. Um, I don't have to deal with trying to live a, a overly Christian life every single day because of who I am. Um, it's those little bits of pride and arrogance that, that creep their way in, that temptation where the devil wants you just to rest on your laurels a little bit and don't worry about actually being the one that God calls you to be or the, or, or living the life that God calls you to live because you're you. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah, John preaches that that powerful message, and it, it definitely applies to us still today. And, you know, he doesn't just preach law, though. I mean, at the end of this message, he does point ahead to the one who's coming. Um, he he describes him as, as the one who's more powerful than I, and sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He's going to baptize with Holy Spirit and fire and um, and gather his wheat and, and bring us in, too. So points to Jesus as being ultimate judge, but also to the comfort of that gospel and what he's going to bring for us, too. So, yeah, John preached a lot of law, but at the same time, it was to turn people to the, the refreshing promises of the gospel uh, as to what he was ultimately pointing us to as as well. Yeah, what was, what was hindering within the hearts of people, whether Pharisees, Sadducees, you name it, what was hindering people from um, the message that Jesus would come to proclaim and then ultimately to fulfill uh, hearts of unbelief, stubborn arrogance, 
um, self-righteousness, self-righteous pride. Um, and that's Jesus or John is calling on these people to, to rid them themselves of all of these things and to recognize that those attitudes and actions can't stand in harmony with the one that he's proclaiming. Right. Um, so the law does it in John's lips does exactly what it does. Um, as we hear the law proclaimed or, or preach it to ourselves today, it prepares our hearts for the gospel and it points us to, we can't do this on our own. We can't get to heaven by ourselves. Uh, we need a savior from sin. Absolutely. Let's well, savior comes onto the scene in the very next section here. Um, which I think is a pretty cool, it's a short little account, um, but I think is a, is a pretty neat one, um, Jesus' baptism. So Jesus actually comes now out to the wilderness, um, you know, along with the crowds and the Pharisees and Sadducees, Jesus makes his way out too, um, but he comes out in order to be baptized by John. And uh, I think that's a pretty cool th- cool account here um, that we have before us. Yeah, John's attitude is, is an interesting one. He's like in shock. <laughs> like, yeah. No, no, no. Hold on. <laughs> right. I'm the sinner. Uh, you could baptize me. You should baptize me. Uh, but no, no, I'm not. And then Jesus reassures him, no, this is right. This is good. This is part of the plan. Um, and then finally he relents and, and agrees. So maybe we should talk about just for a moment, because if we, we talk about baptism, baptism is one of these beautiful sacraments that God gives to us. Um, and in this sacrament, God comes to us through his spirit and he washes away all of our sins. He gives us forgiveness. He creates and strengthens faith in us. Um, and really, uh, it's it's our adoption into God's family, into his kingdom. So this is this beautiful blessing in which God comes to us as sinful people. So us as sinful people need this blessing from God, this these waters of baptism um, for us to be, to be brought into a relationship with him. However, Jesus was not sinful, right? So the question often comes up, well, if, G- if baptism is for sinners, why was Jesus baptized? Because he had no sin. He was the perfect son of God, which is true. So maybe we should take a moment just to explain why Jesus had to be baptized to begin with. The the Lutheran preacher gets to wrestle with this discussion, this concept every uh at least once a year, right? <laughs> for yeah. baptism of our Lord Sunday Absolutely. is the, usually uh, for sometime s- in January. Yeah, for Sunday in Epiphany. Um we always get to articulate how am I gonna articulate this carefully and well and in a way that reflects the truth and and teaches this concept. Um, Jesus here, his words are uh, this, uh, I do this to fulfill all righteousness that um, I don't know if I came up with this, probably not. Um, I probably picked this up along the way, but Jesus comes to be baptized to stand so fully to stand in the place of sinners that he even stands uh, there in the waters of baptism um, to take our place, to take our sin uh, he even uh, experiences the sinner sacrament. Right. So, yeah, it has this idea of, of really identifying with with us in, in, in all fullness. Um, and I think some other aspects, too, that we see here is, is in fulfilling all righteousness, he is showing that he is the one that God has chosen and sent to be the savior. So sometimes we can look at this as like Jesus anointing. So yep. kind of like in the Old Testament when you would have um, certain people that God set aside for, for special roles, like a king, yep. King David was anointed, or a prophet was anointed. Um, these were actions that was kind of a, a sign that said, this is a person that God has chosen, God has sent for a very specific 
role in in his his kingdom. And this is Jesus' anointing, anointing by by God. And we actually get that at the very end where the heavens open up and God speaks from heaven and says, this is my son whom I love. So this is like God, you know, Jesus coming out and, and starting his public ministry, which I think is also another aspect of this is this is not only his anointing, but the start now of of Jesus publicly beginning his ministry. We don't hear a whole lot from his return back from Egypt to Nazareth, where chapter 2 ends, till now, which is probably about 30-ish years later. And uh, and now we, we don't know what Jesus was doing in there. I have to imagine that he probably talked about the gospel somewhere in there, right? That he just wasn't silent. But now this is, he's going to go out into the towns and cities and countrysides of Israel and start preaching the, the gospel. Yeah. So when you're anointed, they um, pour oil over your head and it's, the group is gathered there, but there's only one person getting oil dumped on his head. Right. That's the one that's been selected. That's the one that's been set apart for a special task. Um, and in fact, if you look at the two main, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament names for Jesus, Old Testament Messiah, New Testament Christ, those are both words in Hebrew and Greek, respectively, that mean the anointed one. Right. Um, so the fact that Jesus was set apart for this special task um, was always first and foremost in his ministry, that that here he was the only one who could be the savior of the world, and now he was he was doing that. So to have baptism, a pouring out of water, um, as as symbolic, or at least you could draw that connection to to this this Old Testament ritual of anointing. Um, he certainly is beginning this special task and and beginning to be set apart as special. And now God, uh, God the Father's voice comes. This is my son. Whom I, this is the special one. Right. Uh, pay attention. Uh, in case you've missed it up till this point, here he is. Um, yeah, we can see all of that, all of what Jesus has done and is going to continue to do and now is going to take on full time for us uh, in his preaching and teaching ministry as he walks towards the cross uh, to complete the plan of salvation for us. Yeah. I think there's one other cool aspect in this that I don't want to overlook because it's it's really a cool doctrinal thing, really. Um, at the end of this, you have a, a clear picture of the Trinity, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And um, I, I often ask this when we talk about Trinity or teach about Trinity. Um, can you think of one time in Scripture where you can see every person of the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all on the same scene at the same time? Easy answer is right here. <laughs> and, uh, and maybe you can prove me wrong. Um, I, haven't, I didn't ask you ahead of time, but is there another time in Scripture where we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit like that all on at the scene at the same time? This is clearly the most vivid, right. um, where there's a physical um, appearance of the right. Spirit and... Jesus is there in the flesh and the Father comes down. Um, and then that's reinforced even more as uh, at the end of Jesus' ministry um, in the Great Commission, he commands that baptism be done in the name of the Father and of the right. Son and of the Holy Spirit, which is automatically throws your attention back to, well, just like it was at Jesus' baptism where mm -hmm. there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, so no, I would agree with you that if you're looking for one story that teaches the Trinity, um, it'd be this one. Yeah. And not to say that this is the only time that, that God and his three persons are present at the same place at the same time, because the reality is 
Always. That, that's always, right? <laughs> because that's just the mystery of who God is. But I just think it that, you know, sometimes as people who want to have, like, I, I got to see this. I want to hold it. I want to, I want to, something that's concrete and tangible. This is something that the, one of these great accounts that just, this is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus in flesh, Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, voice of God coming from heaven, uh, the Father, and, and all right there. This, this is a good way. story to go to for people who are doubting or who might have uh, misconceived notions about what the Trinity is or who God is. Um, I've talked to people that have had the idea that, well, it's, the Trinity is really like different masks. So when God wants to be fatherly, then he appears as God the Father. And when uh, he wants to be loving, then Jesus comes. And when the, he, he wants to be powerful, then it's the Holy Spirit. And sure. uh, you can look at some parts of Scripture and, and and maybe shoehorn an understanding like that into some parts, but not all. You look at, whoa, so God's quickly switching masks here during, right. like, no, clearly that's not what's happening. The fact that they um, that they are there in distinct ways um, I, I reference the Great Commission. If God is 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 just one and not three in one, then why are, why are we to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Sure. Um, that doesn't make sense if if it's just different ways to refer to or look at the same one singular being. So, um, no, I would agree with you that that the doctrine of the Trinity comes on into its fullest manifestation and clearest. Uh, example here in Jesus baptism. That's a pretty neat picture. This is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased. That's what God the Father speaks to Jesus at his baptism. Um as we continue to see um what God says about baptism and how he wants um all nations to be baptized, um we could see that similar voice of approval spoken um every time a child comes to the font, every time a a person is baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father is is voicing that approval because of what Jesus has done, because of the saving work that's already been accomplished for them. Now the Father can say, this is a son, this is my daughter, this is my child whom I love. I'm pleased with them because of the robes of righteousness that Christ has put on them. Absolutely. That's chapter three, huh? Very nice. Short chapter, but packed with a lot of neat things. Repent and believe and rejoice that we have a Savior from sin. These are all things for which you can say this is most most certainly true. Thanks for joining us in our effort to read and grow through the Gospel of Matthew. We'd love to share more Jesus with you. Learn more about Grace at our website, www.gracedowntown.org. There you'll find worship times, Bible study resources, links to our digital media resources, our pastor's contact info, and a lot more about our ministry in and to downtown Milwaukee. We hope to connect you to the grace of God again soon.